Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Listening to Dr. Rob White with the AULC Ministries. Scan the QR code to visit our website at AULC.us and find us on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and TalkShoe. The following presentation is from a new series from Dr. Rob White called Blast from the Past. In this series, Dr. Rob will feature past sermons that were recorded live. We hope you enjoy this new series. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come this morning opening your word once again, looking to see what you have to tell us, what you have to say to us. Your scriptures tell us, let them that have ears hear, meaning that someone needs to hear this and whoever does, please let them hear it. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds to what your word has to tell us today, Lord, because there's probably more than likely a message in there for us. So we just ask, Lord, that you will give us that message today and be with us as we go through your word. We ask this in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good but one, God. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud and honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Then looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But he was stunned at this demand, and he went away grieving, because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the disciples were astonished at his words, and again Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the king of God, kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So they were even more astonished, saying to one another, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. I assure you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house, brothers or sisters, or mother, or father, children, or fields because of me and the gospel, who will not receive 100 times more now at this time, 
houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields and pers with persecutions, with eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of our word. Now camels are interesting animals. Now we used to think as children the, the humps on a camel stored water and camels can go for days without water. But camels, in truth, in real life, they're suited to live in the desert. They have small ears that are lined with fur to keep desert sands from blowing into the ear canal. Their eyes are protected by a double long row of curly eyelashes and they have these heavy eyebrows that shade their eye from the sun. Camels also have two toes on each foot and a heavy foot pad that spreads out each time the camel puts its foot down, it spreads out so that the camel doesn't sink in the sand. This keeps any large animal that has this function in their feet from sinking. Now I talked about the humps on a camel. The, it doesn't store water, but what it does, it stores fat. And the camel will use this source of this fat for a source of food and energy when it can go days without finding some. Camels can go five to seven days without water, but that's because they have a, a special system built in that allows them to temperate their bodies, like a, a thermostat would your home furnace, and to keep it cooler or warmer and hold in moisture. That way they can go for a long time without having water. Now, we know a little bit about camels, but the Bible tells us today, and Jesus is saying a camel is used to teach a lesson here. He says in verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when you see a camel, how many have seen a camel here? You've seen them on TV and like that. They're big, they're tall animals and much taller than me. Makes me feel short. But these camels wouldn't easily fit through the eye of a needle, would it? Because an eye of a needle is really tiny. And so, Jesus is saying it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. He also says with men it's impossible, but not with God. With God all things are possible. And so Jesus is teaching us that our attitude and our relationship with God is what's important. When we put God first, there's things that can happen that we can't even imagine. Now, people sometimes, when they read this, they try to soften Jesus' words here by suggesting this eye of a needle uh, isn't really a camel going through it. The, uh, the Greek, there's a Greek, Greek word, camelon, which is uh, translated as rope, and then there's a camelon, which is similar, they're spelled just a little differently. And um, I'm, I'm sorry, camelon is a camel, camelon is a, a rope. But anyway, they're similar, and they're trying to say that you can't thread a rope through the eye of a needle. Okay, that's probably impossible unless it's a big needle, right? And, but what there is in, in Jerusalem, there's a little gate that you can't walk through that camels can get down on all fours and they can crawl through this gate and they call that gate the eye of the needle. Now I don't know if that was there in the first century when Jesus was around or not. They've got them in the Jerusalem walls today. And Jesus here is kind of using an exaggeration in his story 
when he talks about the camel going through the eye of a needle because he's making a point. He's suggesting that the largest of animals can't fit through the smallest of openings and neither can a rich man get into heaven. He's comparing the two by saying that if you're rich, you're probably not going to make it. Now, that's not probably the case in, all, in a lot of cases, but there are a lot of rich people out there. They value their money more than what they value anything else, and we're going to see that in our, our lesson today. The disciples ask, who can be saved? If a decent, rich person can't get into heaven, then who can? Jesus just was careful with his answer, but he said, with men it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And we've been taught that since we've been little children, reading that from the, the Bible and all. The passage also tells us that there's a seductiveness to money. When you've got a little, you want more. And when you've got more, you want even more. And there's something about the love of money that Jesus likes to talk about too. Now, we don't need to be healthy and lots of money, but we need to be healthy in our hearts and have love in our hearts. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, there's a story told of a middle-aged man who came to talk to his pastor. He was depressed. His life seemed meaningless. He had been quite successful, but, you know, they say money can't buy love. And it can't buy happiness either, according to this man. And something seemed to be missing in his life. He felt like life was just flat. So he thought he should be getting more pleasure out of all of his success and out of his wealth and his money and all. And he was trying to figure out what to do. And the pastor remembered something that Carl Menninger, a famous psychiatrist, had once said. Menninger had said, when you're feeling blue, you should get out of the house, go across the tracks, find someone in need, and help them. Pastor tells the man about this and says, perhaps you should use your money to help people in need. Give some of it away. The man thought for a moment and then had a little smile on his face and said, you know, preacher, I don't think I'm that desperate yet. He loved his money more than he loved anything else. In our scripture today, a rich man comes up to Jesus and he treats Jesus with the respect that would be treated to any rabbi or any teacher of the day. He kneels at his feet and he addresses him as good teacher. He had a question that had been rolling around in the back of his mind for quite some time and he saw this opportunity to see Jesus and to ask him because he would get the answer that he was looking for. And he says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit internal, eternal life? Now, note the irony here. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. And this man is asking, how do I live? How do I have eternal life? Jesus being on his way here is... Mark's way of saying that he's on his way to the cross. He's on his way to die. And in a few verses, a couple of chapters earlier in Mark, uh, Jesus had just said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake and the sake of good news will save it. Now, we tend to think of this man as being a rich, young ruler. Mark only identifies him as a man who had many possessions. 
and he mentions the possessions only at the conclusion of the encounter. Matthew says that he's a young man, and Luke identifies him as a ruler. So we get all these put together as a rich young ruler. And the man does ask, what must he do to inherit eternal life? Now, as a rich man, he understands inheritances of the day. The law in Deuteronomy spells out this very clearly. It says the firstborn son is to inherit two times the amount of property and amount of money and all this that the father has. Every other son after that only gets one share. And so the firstborn son is the one that actually takes over the family. And if there's no sons, then the daughters, they're allowed to receive a small inheritance. But in most cases, a daughter would only receive a dowry when she got married, wouldn't receive much else from her father. This rich young man knows the laws like the back of his hand. And now he wants to know what law he has to do, talking about the Ten Commandments, what law must he do to follow to do right to get eternal life? What's the requirements? What can he do now? The man knows that he has to inherit eternal life. He doesn't know what it means to inherit eternal life. He know what, knows what it means to inherit money and all. And then what the man says in verse 20, if that's true, and it might be the case, he's already doing a lot of the right things, but he's doing them for the wrong reason. He's less interested in serving God than he is in figuring out how, how he can get God to serve him, kind of be his personal genie. The man's question also reveals that he has misunderstood what the relationship between him and God is supposed to be and how his own works and God's grace work together. He can't achieve eternal life just by virtue and his own works and his own actions alone. He needs to acknowledge that he has spiritual deficits and he needs to seek God's grace. God has been generous to this man and now the man wants to know how he can continue to get God's generosity for the rest of his life and through eternal life. He's rich in this life and he wants to extend it. He wants to take it all with him. You know, he kind of wants to be buried with a U-Haul trailer with all of his money and his possessions and all and thinks that when he gets to heaven, he's going to have that all. That's what he wants. And his answer that he's already following all of the laws just kind of says, yeah, he probably is. But he hasn't really, really met the requirements yet. And he wants someone to go up and pat him on the back and says, good boy. You're doing great. Keep it up. You'll be all right. In any event, he doesn't expect what Jesus is going to tell him next, this new requirement that Jesus is going to expect of him. The fact that he asks about the requirements of eternal life shows he's a careful man. He's a man that plans out everything. It's a kind of man that would maintain a good relationship with his earthly father just so that he could get a full inheritance. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's a good question. Today, we would rephrase that just a little bit. What would I have to do to be saved? It's a life or death question. So this man has gotten good inheritance from his earthly father, obviously. He's got a lot of money and all and possessions. And he wants to ensure that this 
heavenly father of his is going to give him a good inheritance too. He's rich in this life. He wants to be rich for the next life and beyond. And so he says, what shall I do? Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud and honor your mother and father. Now, obviously, that's not all of them, but that's the bulk of the commandments. And the man says, well, teacher, I've observed these, I've observed these from my youth. I've done it all my life. I've done every one of them. Now, I don't know if this young man had really kept all the commandments. Uh, it's very possible that he had. He certainly, most certainly, hadn't murdered anyone. He probably hadn't committed adultery. Any good lawyer could prove that he had never stolen anything in his life. And at any rate, the man thought that he had done everything he needed to do to get eternal life. And so he's asking Jesus, what shall I do? And he wanted Jesus to say, just keep up the good work. You're doing great. But Jesus didn't tell him that. Jesus says in verse 21 today, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me and take up your cross. Now this man was shocked. He was expecting Jesus to pat him on the back and say, boy," but keep up the good work. No, Jesus tells him he's got to go sell everything and give everything away. And he thought maybe Jesus might say, well, go tell your rich friends that you're doing okay, they're doing okay, and you know, you're, you're gonna be fine. But no, Jesus is saying you gotta give it all up. Go sell all your possessions, sell, give away all your money, and then come and follow me. Jesus felt this young man would make a good disciple, but instead he loved his money and possessions more. So he goes away grieving because he had many possessions, Mark tells us. And when we hear that story, we think, well, that's foolish, you know, to trade everything you've got for eternal life. That would be such a wonderful idea. But I don't think the man was planning on trading anything. He wanted to keep it all and have it all on the other side too. And he was saddened by Jesus' answer, but I'm sure that he planned to go get a second opinion. You know, when you go to the doctor and the doctor doesn't really tell you what you want to hear, what do you do? You go get a second opinion because maybe the other doctor will tell you something more you want to hear. There's lots of rabbis around in these days, so maybe one of them would have a better answer for this young man. And for anyone that studied the Ten Commandments, you realize we're only seeing a few of the Ten Commandments here. But he left out the very first commandment Jesus did. You shall have no other gods before me. This young man was making an idol out of his possessions and out of his money. And he was worshiping that more than he wanted to worship God. And that's having another God before God. We all have our idols even today that we worship. Some people worship their career and they will work on Sundays and they will do work every day of the week and they don't have time for family or friends or church or anything else. And that's all they're looking for is that almighty dollar at the end of it. 
Jesus also listed the commandments for this man, and he kept the easy ones. You shall not commit murder, and you shall not steal. And the man says, he's done that. He's com he hasn't committed murder, and he hasn't stolen. And probably that's the way it was. But Jesus could see there was something missing. This man had not done as well with the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus could see that. He could see this man was worshiping his own idols. Now, the man had everything, you know, money could buy and all this, but he loved it more than he loved God. And Jesus knew a big test that he could give him to know for sure if he really wanted to follow Jesus or not. And so he says, go sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. Because he knew what the guy's answer was, whatever it was, was going to be, there's his answer. The man responds by walking away, sulking and grieving, and he was sad. Why do you think Jesus would demand such a sacrifice from this man? Well, there's probably two possibilities. As the story reveals, the man's wealth is real important to him, very important. More important than eternal life itself, unless he assumes he can obtain eternal life like he does stocks and bonds by buying it. The security afforded by material possessions tempts us to trust in our possessions before it tempts us to trust in God. Note too that the, the story <laughs> follows immediately about the story of the little children where Jesus said, most certainly I tell you, whoever will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, he will in no way enter into it. The rich man is quite unlike those little children the little children were poor, but this guy was rich. They were dependent. He wasn't. He was independent. They had no status and power, but he had both. They had no security apart from the people that took care of them. And this rich man was probably secure in his own right. He had to strip himself of all of these things to become like these poor little children just so that he could find his security in God. It's also possible, too, that Jesus tailored the requirements for this man to sell everything only for this man to meet his particular spiritual needs. We shouldn't read this in the Bible and say, well, God wants us to go out right now and give away everything we've got and live in a cardboard box somewhere because that's what God says in his Bible. Well, that's not what he's saying. He's, and now there's people that has read the end of that that away. But God or Jesus is saying this is for this man. This is his requirements. We all have our own little requirements or our own idols we've got to get over. We shouldn't anticipate that Jesus would ask us to do something that's equally difficult. We should anticipate that God will shape our requirements according to each one of our needs. He had come to Jesus with this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, in, in essence, you have to arrange the furniture of your life so there's nothing standing between you and God. And then knowing what was in this man's heart, he says, in your case, it means get rid of all your furniture. Otherwise, you've got too much between you and God. I, I knew a guy that he, he, he was a hoarder. I mean, we all know what hoarders are. We probably have them in our own families and friends. But he had stuff stacked 
to the ceiling in his house. And the first time I visited him, uh, he went into his living room and he actually had a path to going from his chair to the TV and from the couch to the TV. And there's all this wall of stuff around him. And if it hadn't have been for him cutting a path, he couldn't have watched TV. And I felt a little bit claustrophobic in his house because everything stacked to the ceiling. His garage was the same way. I couldn't live that way. But this was this man's lifestyle. He had to rearrange his boxes so he could watch TV. This rich young ruler had to rearrange his furniture so there was nothing between him and God. The man goes away sad and unhappy because he liked the way his furniture was arranged. John Killinger is a retired pastor, a former professor of preaching at Vanderbilt. On one occasion, he attended a conference in Texas, and a woman came running up to him, and she said, Do you know what I used to be? It was a Disciples of Christ Church, so he thought she might have been something really bad, like a Methodist, for example. And she, he said, she says, no, I'm, I'm not any of those. I'm not a Methodist. I'm not a Baptist. She says, I'm a professional gambler. She told him about going to Las Vegas one time. She had $5,000 in her purse, and she took it to the gambling tables, and it rose to $109,000. And she was on such a roll, she felt she couldn't lose. So she threw one turn of the wheel on the roulette wheel. She laid all $109,000 down and lost it all in one turn of the wheel. She said, since then, I have made a greater risk than that. That was quite a risk, losing $109,000. She says, someone told me about God loving me and that his son Jesus died for me and that Jesus wanted to live within me. So I accepted Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. And that's the biggest risk in life I have ever taken. Several years had passed, and the woman's whole life had changed. She was now directing the educational ministry in her church, and she was having a great time doing it. When I read this story, I was intrigued by her comment about the biggest risk she had ever taken was to accept Christ as her Lord and Savior. What did she mean by that? And then it occurred to me, accepting Christ as her Lord meant rearranging the furniture of her life, making sure there was nothing standing between her and God. Accepting Christ as Lord meant letting go of the things she loved and loving God instead. And accepting Christ meant leaving behind everything that was familiar to her and letting Christ lead her into a topsy-turvy world, a world where the first are last and the last are first. A world in which the poor are blessed instead of the rich. A world in which we die to self so that Christ might give us life. And she made it very clear that this time she laid all of her chips on Jesus and she didn't lose. And she was happy as a lark about it. And that's why Jesus has promised. He says, most certainly I tell you there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake and for the sake of the good news. But he will receive 100 times more now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, land with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That's the promise 
and it's true. Millions have tried it, and millions have found Jesus faithful. So if you haven't tried it, try it for yourself. Let Christ rearrange the furniture in your life so nothing stands between you and God. Learn to let go of things that you love so that you can love God instead and leave behind your familiar world and let Christ lead you into a topsy-turvy world, upside-down world, and I promise that it'll be the best risk you've ever taken and the best bet that you've ever made. That's our Lord's message for this Lord's Day, and I hope that you got a blessing out of it. Let's close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, in our world today, it's very possible and very easy for us to get tied up with our own idols, with our own possessions, and trying to keep up with the Joneses. And many times, we tend to forget. And we thank you for your message today, Lord, because there are times that we do need to rearrange the furniture in our lives and to come around because something does get in our way. And we, we put the blinders on so we can't see it. And we just thank you, Lord, for this message today and for opening our eyes to this because there's many times that we don't realize that there is something standing between us and between God. And we need these reminders from time to time, and that's why we thank you for your word. As we go out today, family, friends, back home, just to spend the afternoon, we just ask that you be with us, Lord. Keep us healthy. Keep us wise. Bless us and keep us. We ask this in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Go out this week. Be a blessing and be blessed. Because the more you're a blessing, the more you will be blessed. Thank you all for coming. We'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you for watching and listening to Dr. Rob White with the AULC Ministries. Athens Universal Life Church is a not-for-profit 501c3 organization. This production is an AULC Studios video production. Copyright 2012-2023. All rights reserved. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.